You are listening to an audio from Redemption City Church. If you would like to explore more resources or donate to this ministry, go to www.visitredemptioncc.com. In the time before Christ, the Jews went through a time of exile. While in exile, they would build temples scattered away from their homeland. During that time, a city named Ephesus was created by the Greeks and taken by the Romans. Roman rulers would connect the world with Rhodes. Paul was able to capitalize on both. Scattered Jewish temples connected by the Roman Empire Rhodes which led Paul to Ephesus, where he pastored for a while, left and then wrote them the letter, titled Ephesians. The lie is that things will always be the way they are. Broken people, broken churches. The truth is that you can become a new man with a new heart and a new mind. The people who follow Christ can be one body, one church, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father to all. Ephesians. All right. Good morning, Redemption. How are we doing? Good. All right. Well, I'm super excited. My name is Pastor Brandon. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption City Church, and we've come on a great day to experience the truth about God. If you have your Bibles, and I really hope you do, I want you to open them up to Ephesians chapter 4. That's right. Chapter 4. We finally made it. We're going to be working through verses 1 through 6. And so as we continue forward in our Ephesians series titled Our Story into God's Story, I want to remind you that it's all about discovering who we are in light of Christ. And now I get to add this part. It's about discovering what we are then called to do. So it's not just about knowing who we are. It's about knowing who and what we've been called to do. And so if you were not here last week or you were here, but you need a refresher, um, last week was part 12 and it was titled praying for strongly flexed muscles and eternal perspectives in trials. And we learned that there are really the um, three G's kind of of how God uses our trials for good. And so one of them was it's for our growth, right? We talked about when we are stepping into trials of resistance and we are flexing our muscles of faith, we grow. And then as we do that, we get to be an encouragement to other people's good, right? It was for their good. And then finally, as we grow and then we share our growth with others for their good, God gets the glory. Okay. And so then we talked about that life is filled with so many different types of trials of resistance and that God desires us to lean into those resistance and not to flee away. God has something for us there. And then we learned that if we gaze upon our circumstances, and this is important from an eternal perspective and not from an earthly perspective, then we will grow stronger and we'll see that there's something valuable that God is trying to teach us. We talked about that in the weight room, right? That we go to the weight room, we lift weights, we do things that cause pain, we limp to our cars, but we're willing to sign up for that pain because we think there's something valuable we're going to get on the other side. So it's the same thing happens in our spiritual life. When we see the value of what God is trying to do, we're going to be more willing to step into that. And then we learn, this is really important, that God always answers our prayers. Isn't that good news? 
That God, isn't that good news? Oh, that's great news. God always answers our prayers. He answers them three ways. You can, you can have hope now. Every single time a Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christian enters into prayer with God, you can have rock-solid confidence that he's listening to you, that he's answering your prayers. He only answers them three ways. One is with a yes. That means that whatever you've asked for accords with his will, and he brings it to fruition. The second is with a no. He deems it is not wise. And we talked about those of us who have been walking with the Lord long enough. That's a good thing. And then finally, sometimes he says, wait. It's a yes, but not yet. Will we trust him? And that brings us to today, part 13, titled preparing to, um, excuse me, preparing to love, have peace. Oh, these are some action things now. So preparing to love, to do something, preparing to have peace, to embody this, and to be unified. And here remains our aim. If this is your first time, I see some new faces. So here's our aim for the Ephesians series. No matter who you are, no matter if you've been studying Ephesians your whole life, or today's your first time picking up the Bible, and you're opening up this weird thing called Ephesians, whatever that means, for the first time, our hope is that each and every person in this room, including me, would have a fresh encounter with the Lord like you've never had before. So let's do that. You guys ready? You guys ready? Okay, let's do that. Let's, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need you. I need you desperately to be in and through everything happening this morning. We really are so dead to rights, Lord. So remind us of our incredible, incredible opportunity that comes from your grace as we draw near to the blood of your son. Lord, we've been looking for you, searching for you throughout the first three chapters of Ephesians, trying to discern who you are and what you've done for us so that we can have rock solid confidence about who we are as your adopted and chosen children. So Holy Spirit, seal the deal for us in ways that only you supernaturally can. We can't do it, God, but you can do that, Lord. Invigorate my heart as the preacher while you invigorate their hearts as joyful listeners this morning. Come on, break our hearts, Lord, so we can hear what you have for us today. Anoint my words in ways that become only your words as we transition into the second segment of this glorious, majestic, healing book. Help me, Jesus, to communicate effectively. Cleanse me and wash me in this moment. It's because of your beautiful name we pray. Amen. So here's the deal. We're studying the book of Ephesians, and this book is super, super deep. It's one of Paul's greatest letters, in my opinion, that he ever wrote. Remember, this is one of his most matured books. This letter in particular, he wrote under great distress. We've talked about that. Paul was under light chain house arrest. And so think of today as like a pivot point conversation. So and you'll see how we develop that. And even though he was in the middle, even though Paul's in the middle of this great distress under light chain house arrest, for those of you who knows what that means, who've been walking with us through this, this book study, Paul chose to respond in this great distress by doing some of his best, best work. Paul was literally in jail saying, even though I'm definitely going through one of the worst times in my life, even though I'm under great, great distress, I'm going to flex my muscles of the faith by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to do some of my best, best work. Now, I don't know about you, but how great would that be if that was one of our mantras and mottos for our lives? That, Lord, no matter what trial or affliction comes my way, I'm going to do some of my best, 
best work. That when things get tough, God's glory would be on great display as we use our muscles of the faith. Because that's what happens when diamonds are made. Anybody know how diamonds are made? Literally, it's the earth coming and crushing together with much pressure, much time. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot, of, a lot of heat, a lot of friction, a lot of effort, and a lot of difficulty. But then all of a sudden, these worthless pieces of clay and coal become beautiful and precious stones and gems. And we call them diamonds. And that's what God's doing in us. We, we, we're, we're worthless, but in Christ, he's pushing and pressing and, 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 and refining the refiner's fire. And we're becoming precious, precious children of God in his sight. So Paul displayed these great muscles of the faith during this season of difficulty. And now we're here studying the letter that was written to the Ephesus as a result of that. Because you see, here's what happened. Paul leaned in to his growth that God had for him no matter how difficult it was, the church of Ephesus was able to get encouraged and they experienced that good. God was put on display and got the glory. And 2000 years later, you and me are sitting here with this encouraging book as a result. That is good news. And while it's true that he wrote this letter specifically to the church of Ephesus, how many know that the, the word is for us as well today? We have a word that the Lord has for us. And this book of Ephesians, if we interact with it wisely, has the opportunity to change our church. That's a huge statement. You can't say that about any book that you pick up at Barnes and Nobles. But this book, this book of Ephesians can change our church. Now, we've been talking for several months about how the book of Ephesians is broken down. And so, again, because we're getting ready to have this big transition, think of today. We're not going to be able to leap deep into chapter 4. We're going to transition in a similar way that we did on Ephesians um, um, part 1, where we kind of laid out a stage. And so, here's a little reminder. Ephesians chapter 1 through 3 is doctrinal. Okay, so this means it's all about what has been done. This is who we believe God is. Paul's saying, this is who God is. This is what God has established. And this is what God has done. So chapters one through three is more of, a, is him laying out our belief. Okay, our doctrine. Now, in Ephesians chapter four through six, think of it as now the book is going to transition to the practical side. So not just theological belief. But now we're going to talk about how do we practice these things. Paul is saying, this is how you literally build your life out, your relationships out. This is how you respond to circumstances based off of chapters 1 through 3 and what we believe. So today's service will be that, that pivot point for us. So throughout chapters 4 through 6, Paul's going to detail four realities that I want you to see. We're not going to see all these today. We're going to see these over the course of months. But these are going to be the four realities that we're going to be looking at as Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christians. We're going to learn how, what it means so we are to walk in unity. Okay. So chapters 4 through 6 are going to teach us how do we walk in unity. Everybody say unity. Unity. unity is going to be important. Unity is the process of people coming together towards a common goal or mission. So we're going to learn how do we do that in our lives and in our actions. The second thing that chapter four through six is going to teach us is we are to walk in purity. Everybody say purity. purity. What does it mean to be pure? What does it mean to be blameless, righteous before our heavenly father? How do we do that? in our lives. 
The third thing we're going to be learning through chapters four through six is we are to walk in harmony. Everybody say harmony. harmony. What does it mean to walk in harmony? Wasn't harmony the same thing as unity? No. Unity is rallying around a common goal and a gift. And harmony is how we do that in a way that benefits each other. And that makes beautiful, beautiful music in a beautiful, beautiful life. And then we're going to learn in chapters four through six, what does it mean to walk in victory? Everybody say victory. Victory, victory is to accomplish that which God has called us to. This is going to be good, good news. And I want you to remember this as we're kind of setting the stage over these next couple of weeks. We're not going to just be looking to figure out what it means to have great fruit in our life. We're going to be looking to literally move the needle of our focus to the roots. We talked about that last week, right? To the roots of our lives. And so if this is your first time here and you're jumping in our series, um, I do want to acknowledge you right now. It, this is it's going to be a little tough. I mean, we're, we're working through an entire book. So I'm going to be referencing things that we've been learning. And so I want you to do the best possible job you can to pull what you can out of our service today. And so um, we want to really make sure that we are focusing on the roots of what God has for us, not just the fruit. Amen. Because if we're only focused on the fruit and the things that we desire, but we're not focused on the root cause of what God is calling us to, we're going to have the wrong, wrong focus. So let me tell you a quick story about that. When I was actually um, kind of officially releasing that we're going to be in the book of Ephesians, there's this guy from California that I know. And so he messaged me. He's like, man, I'm super, super excited that you guys are going to be going through Ephesians. I'm going to be following along every sermon. They call me BK out there. Um, I'm going to be following along the whole series, uh, series BK. And I just can't wait to learn all this good stuff about marriage. And uh, I thought to myself, that's such a common thought that people have when they think about the book of Ephesians, that Ephesians is the, is the marriage book. But did you know that marriage is not even talked about until chapter five? Did you know that? It's literally not even talked about. This whole husbands love your wife thing and wives submit to your husband thing, Paul doesn't even get to that until chapter five. We literally have been in the book of Ephesians since September. For those of you who don't know, we started in September and we haven't talked about marriage at all. We're barely crossing into chapter four, if you want to call that today. I'm kind of just setting the stage. So when that same friend reached out not too long ago, and he's like, dude, I'm, I'm listening to the sermons. When are we going to talk about, you know, all the relationship stuff and all the marriage stuff? And I'm like, no, no, bro. Not until our people here at Redemption City Church have a deep and robust and foundational understanding of what Jesus has done for them. This is going to be really, really important. Lean in. Because if you and I do not understand and have a firm grasp on who Jesus is and what he's done, we're going to go about everything in the wrong way. And this is where we get in trouble as Bible-believing Christians in our society today. We focus so much on the actions of the faith, but we do not understand the roots of the faith. If we do not understand what's happened in chapters one through three, which is why we spent over four and a half months marching through that, you're going to love your wife as Christ loved the church wrongly. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You're going to try to submit to your husband as unto the Lord wrongly. What's the wrong part? By your effort, misguided, tiring yourself out, wondering why God's not showing up. You're going to try to raise your kids in a way that honors the Lord wrongly. You're going to pursue every one of your actions wrongly. If you don't understand first, who is God and what has he done for you, independent of anything that you can do for him? If you do not know and radically consume 
all the glorious blessings being communicated in chapters 1 through 3, you're going to not have a fruitful experience in chapters 4 through 6. So here's the deal. So many people, including myself, for especially for quite a bit, quite a few seasons of my walk with the Lord, are overly thirsty for practicality in their walk. So if you came today and you're like, man, we're going to jump into the text. You know how we are here at Redemption. We're going to get there. Next week, we're going to be slicing up all the verses. But today, I need to prepare us for what's going on. Because this pivot point between chapter 3 and 4 is huge. We're always running around. As, as, as Christians saying, okay, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to act? How can I be right with God? And we tire ourselves out trying to live so perfectly. Most of us have already done the whole try our hardest, read the book, you've attended the seminar, and you're struggling still. Maybe, just maybe, you've been going about things the wrong way. Maybe your marriage isn't progressing because you've been going around your marriage the wrong way. Maybe things aren't transpiring between your relationship with your kids because you're going about it the wrong way. Maybe, just maybe, even in all of your effort, you've missed the main thing, which is God. So in a nutshell, what Paul is really trying to demonstrate throughout the entire book of Ephesians is this is the right pathway to having an enduring and a lasting relationship with the God of the universe in a way that you will have joy in a way that you can last. Look at me, Paul saying, as, as I imitate Christ, you imitate what you're seeing in me, is what he says in Corinthians. So here is what Paul is really trying to teach us. And I want to show you on this graph so you can understand this whole book of Ephesians. This is what he's weaving, okay? First, the first thing that Ephesians is teaching us is that we need to sit. Everybody say sit. sit. You got to sit before the God of the universe. <laughs> You got to sit before him. You can't do anything. God chose you. You did not choose him. You were so dead to rights. On your best day, you are filthy rags is what Jesus says in the gospels. You can't do anything. So in chapters one through three, okay, remember, let's get context for those who have not been marching with us through Ephesians. Paul is under light chain house arrest. He has messengers coming to visit him from multiple churches, but specifically the church of Ephesus. And they're saying there's division, there's this, there's that. And Paul opens up the letter. He does not lean in and fix relationships. He does not lean in to the division. He starts off his I, my name, Paul, slave of Christ Jesus. This is who your God is. This is who he is. This is what he's done for you. Wait a minute, Paul, I thought you're, wait, 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 wait. We asked for help in our division. Paul says, I know, I got this. Let me explain to you who God is. Let me explain to you who God is. So you got to sit and you got to learn and you got to meditate upon who God is and what he's done for you. And then as you sit and you are full of the word of God and you are full of understanding that you are chosen, you are adopted, you are forever wealthy, you have been redeemed and equipped for all that you need, then you need to walk. That's your second one. Then you need to walk. You got to walk that out. But here's where we make a mistake as Bible believing Christians. Most of us, we don't do that. We come into a relationship with the Lord and we start walking right away. We start doing and performing and tiring ourselves out 
but you never sit and let God be your Abba Father, your dad. So you got to sit, then you got to walk. And we're getting ready to be transitioning in chapter four to the walk. And then in the last segment, which we're going to look at in chapter six, one day when we get to chapter six, then we're going to learn how to stand. Then we're going to learn how to stand. Standing is different than walking. Standing is a type of firmness. When I stand in attention in the military, it's a, it's a posture of strength. It's a declaration that, I, that you cannot move me. So then we're going to learn how do we not just walk in the faith? How do we stand firm in our faith? How do we, or how I've been ruling it out is how do we defend our Christian walk? Amen. So this is, this is really, really good news. Now, the whole point of Ephesians is to make sure that you and I, I'm going to be, I'm going to repeat this about like 35 more times because I told Pastor Jack, man, I'm having a hard time transitioning to chapter four because this is where I see people getting lost in all the actions. So I'm going to repeat something like 35 times. Get, get ready for it. <laughs> Ephesians is all about understanding what God has done for you. Then, no, no, I'm sorry. Ephesians is all about understanding who God is first. Then what God has done, and it has to happen in this order, and then what God now wants you to do. You can't mess up that order. You can't even think about what God's done for you until you understand first who he is. Who he is, what he's done, what he's calling you to. So with that being said, we're going to look at Psalms 133 right now because I really want us to get this. And Psalms 133 is going to help us to get this, and it's going to help us prepare for what Paul's going to tell us in chapter 4. So let's look at Psalms 133. It's the whole chapter. It's a small chapter. This is the word of the Lord. It says, behold, look, watch out. Something I'm going to say is important is what behold means. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Everybody say dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessings, life forevermore. So basically the Bible teaches us that when God's kids get together and they're getting along, God kind of freaks out in all the right ways. He's like, yeah, when, when, when God's kids, when we get together and we dwell in unity, our heavenly, our dad, he freaks out with joy and we get all this beautiful language. And if you, and if you have kids of your own, you know what the Bible's saying, right? When your kids play together and they dwell together and they play together well, doesn't it make your heart glad? Doesn't it just fill you up? Jillian often tells um, our kids, Aiden and Aubrey, you know, if you guys could just treat each other right, talk nicely to each other, mom's going to be willing to do anything. That's why I tell them, like, you know, mom's mad at me. If you guys would stop bickering and would get along and would dwell in unity, mom's heart would soften and she'd be willing to do anything. So if you want a little, some ice cream or Aiden, if you want a little extra time in the video games, you need to dwell together well. But how many know that when your kids are not dwelling together in unity and they're not playing well, it's a miserable time and it's frustrating <laughs> and it's disappointing, right? Well, how much more so for our heavenly father, God, does he look upon us as his children and he looks at our schisms and he says, really, really? Why is all this division here? This is how we're gonna act. That discourages, that grieves our father's spirit is what the word of God says. So the whole point of the first half of Ephesians chapter one through three is to set up who God is, what God's done, 
and to prepare us now to walk in a way that now honors what we've learned. So everything we're going to do in our actions for the Lord should be reflecting that we understand who he is. And so if our actions are not reflecting what God's done, something has went wrong. That is what Paul is trying to get us to understand. So who are we? Let's look at that. We are a people called to remember how much our God has rationed out to us in his goodness, in his kindness, and in his love. As we confidently march forward, knowing we are chosen and adopted and redeemed and forever equipped for everything we need in life, we are at that point prepared to take action steps forward based on scripture without our muscles of the faith becoming atrophied. Our motivation to act will be founded upon God's perfection as opposed to our own abilities to perform. And that's going to be really, really important. God has rationed out to you so many blessings. We've, we've literally, it's, it's taken us four months, folks, to even understand that. What it, we, we spent multiple services understanding what it means to be chosen and adopted. We spent multiple services understanding redemption. Are you kidding me? You were, do you remember what your life was without Christ? But God, in his love that lavished on you, has redeemed you? Hey, remember this little, this little phrase. Before you perform any action, acknowledge all that God has rationed out to you. Before you perform your next action in the faith, remember the rations that God has given to you. Now, this was true of the Gentiles in Ephesus, as well as it was true of the Gauls that were holding Paul captive in Rome. And if, you have, if you're jumping in the series, Gauls were the people that were um, in charge of watching over Paul when he was under light chain house arrest. You have to go part, back to part one if you want to get that whole thing in context. So when both the Gentiles and the Gauls shared, what they shared in common was an insecurity that they were not equal in the eyes of both the Lord and their new covenant family. They both felt like second-class citizens. Now, the Gauls experienced that more from a worldly perspective, as the Gentiles experienced that more from a spiritual perspective. But both Paul, Paul offers both camps the same remedy, and it's God the Father, Jesus' Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all they've rationed out, that's the remedy, folks. Has nothing to do with what you can do for God. Has nothing to do with what you can go heal. It's not about, because we're going to be getting into divisions and all kinds of things in Ephesians 4, 6. You can't fix relationships. God does. You can't heal your marriage. God heals. You can't close the gap between you and your children. God does the work. Now, we have a part in that, but we acknowledge that it comes from our Heavenly Father. So pay attention. The offer from Paul to the church of, of, of Ephesus is not to go around finding ways to change their circumstances or their trials or their sufferings or their afflictions. The book is not about that. If you're looking to the Bible to be your like your 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 magic spell book, every time you have a problem and then you you flip it to this page, you lick your finger and then your problem goes away, 
This is not the faith for you folks. This is a true relationship with the God of the universe. And Paul is teaching us. How do we know that? Because the messengers were coming to Paul. They were sharing about problems they had. And Paul's response had nothing to do directly with their requests. It had everything to do with, hey, you want, you want your problem fixed? Cast your eyes on God. Cast your eyes on God. So Ephesians is not about changing your trials, your suffering, or your afflictions. It's an offer to change you and me. It's about the inner man and the inner woman changing, not your outer circumstances changing. It's about you stepping into the growth that God has for you so you can encourage other people for their good, for the glory of God. And that same offer that Paul gave to the church of Ephesus, we have an opportunity and it's been given to us today. So while Paul is sitting under light chain house arrest, awaiting a decision from Caesar on what's going to happen in his life, his message is this. In the middle of his trial, I just want you to know who God is. I just want you to know what God's done. And then I want you to get in the game and I want you to join me so God can get the glory. Good night. That is good. Good news. So with that being said, let's look at Ephesians chapter four. Let's look at verses one through six. I'm going to read those aloud and loudly, and then let's spend a little time there. This is the word of the Lord in verse one. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. Oh, he's always a slave and a prisoner. He says it so passionately. A prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Oh my goodness. We're going to get lost in that next week. Okay. Uh, okay, here we go. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Oh my man. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Now, I wonder what was actually going on during this time in Ephesus, like literally, what was literally playing out in that church? What type of divisions and schisms and, were occurring, like literally, that caused some of these exchanges to happen? And what about even in the church of Philippi or Corinth? And if you know anything about biblical history, um, you know that there were isms and schisms and divisions going on in all the churches. There was all kinds of problems going on all the time. We were just, just, just a really, really rough start. You know, that's what happens when Jesus leaves us and then he leaves us to figure it out. You know, even though the Holy Spirit came, but we're just, man, we have problems. But Paul is saying in prison, he's saying, you need to figure it out. You need to figure it out or I'm going to have to show up. I'm going to have to show up at your church. In fact, it also says in the Bible that Paul said in scripture, if you don't figure it out before I come, you're going to be, you're going to be an embarrassment to yourself. I'm going to be embarrassed and you need to start loving each other. Well, he literally says that in the Bible. You know, if you do not figure this out, I'm going to have to come to town and we're all going to be embarrassed when I have to do that. So you better start getting it together. But here's the thing. God in heaven wants us to love each other. Well, and that's what Paul's really saying throughout the whole book of Ephesians. God wants me and you to love each other well. And that's going to be part of our focus today. As a matter of fact, did you know that, that hours before Jesus died on the cross and he was kind of going over his little bucket list, he was like, okay, uh, I walked on water, check. Uh, I fed the poor, check. Um, I healed leopards, uh-huh, check. Um, I, I went to a hypocritical church and made a whip and whipped things and, and flipped over tables and all kind of stuff, check. Oh, oh yes, this is the biggest one. I demonstrated the Father's love. I demonstrated the Father's 
love. And right before he died in John chapter 13, also talked about in John chapter 17, just hours before he died, that's all that Jesus talked about. Did you know that? That's all that he talked about. It was almost like the disciples were missing the whole point. So that's all he talked about. Because when Jesus was on his dying bed, that's what he focused on. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been on people's dying on their deathbeds. Have you? Have you seen? When someone's literally about to die, they don't focus on things that don't matter, on arbitrary things, do they? It's one of the most intimate, sweet, difficult times to be near someone that's literally getting ready to taste death. But one thing that we all know is when we're about to face death, we focus on what's important and our words really matter. And when Jesus was on his deathbed, deathbed, the only thing he talked about was to love one another. He talked about loving one another. You see, his disciples were super religious and super radical and super powerful doing all these things, but they were missing still what God was trying to communicate about this love part. So all Jesus focused on on his deathbed was love. Let's look at that in John chapter 13, verse 35. And this is what it says in John. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, Jesus says. You want to know how you're my disciple? When you do all your actions. Mm -mm. Do you want, to know when, you want to know how the world's going to know you're my disciple? When you pray really, really effectively and you use big, big words. You use, if you say justification, man, the whole heavens open up. No, it doesn't say that. No, 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 no. Literally, it says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. What? If you have love for one another. Now I need us to humble ourselves this morning. Let's humble ourselves so we can really get this in our minds. The way that the whole world is going to know that you are a legitimate child of God is how we love one another. Are you kidding me? Are you... Uh, by this, you will know that you're my disciples by being blameless and having no sin in your life. No, by the way we love one another. Okay, let's break this down. It's by love that the whole world will know that Jesus is real. He's literally saying the pathway to, for his, his glory to be seen is through that. It's by love that they will know that this Bible that we're talking about is legitimate. It's by love that they will know that there's a future and a hope for them. Jesus is saying that when we love even those who we deem are unlovable, we demonstrate that we are both disciples of God and that God is real. It's a huge, huge, huge responsibility and opportunity. Now, this doesn't mean, this is really important, follow with me, because this is, this is the tension points. I, I, I made a resolve as a pastor, I would always lean on tension points so that I, didn't, I could do everything in my power not to lead God's people astray. Now, this does not mean, because we've been called to love one another, that we don't have to have necessary endings in our relationships sometimes that need to occur. Because we do. This is where people get hurt, folks. Thinking that being a Christian means that, you could, that everybody can just slap you around on the face, and it's not. This is where women get abused. Listen, just because we've been called to love one another does not mean there's not times for necessary endings. Usually this concept of loving the unlovable is specifically talking about those who are kind of sitting high and mighty on their, kind of on their little high horse um, against people that are sick or disease or the prostitutes. That's what the text is really talking about. 
However, sometimes the most loving thing that you and I can do is to end relationships that are toxic, that are harmful, and that don't push us to be more like Christ. Remember, dwelling in relationships with your neighbor, focus on this, dwelling in a relationship with your neighbor is a totally different conversation than having Christ-centered love for your neighbor. The key and operative word is dwelling in the text, okay, the dwelling. Dwelling means a type of permanency. You tracking with me? Dwelling talks about a type of permanency and an investment of your openness to being influenced. There's a communion going on. We do not dwell in relationships with those who are pulling us away from Christ. I, I see this happening all the time with our younger men and women when I try to lean into them, even those who are raised in the faith and they say, well, I don't see what the big deal is. Why can't I hang out? Why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? Why can't I do that? I'm supposed to be a Christian. I'm supposed to love everybody. Whoa, whoa, whoa. you have been called to have Christ-centered love for all people. You have not been called to dwell in relationships with all people. That's a slippery slope. Now, this morning, we can't have a whole sermon on deciding which relationships are the healthy ones that we dwell in and which ones are not. That would get us too far off of the main point that Paul's taking. But as your pastor, I want to make sure to really do my part and to have a proper perspective on what is actually being articulated in dwelling in unity. I want us to hold intention, at least for now, that this doesn't always mean that you're supposed to dwell in all relationships in a full and final way. However, we are all called to love everyone, including our neighbors, with the type of Christ-centered love. One is a, is a, is a posture of, what, of our hearts and what we are able to offer people. The other is what we're allowing to be a dwelling place. Okay? Now, like I said earlier, what's so interesting about the book of Ephesians is how many people want to run to chapter 6 and all the spiritual warfare stuff. Or they want to run to chapter 5 and all the marriage stuff. But what I love about what Paul is doing as we cross over to chapter 4 is he's saying, uh-uh, nope. Even when we jump into chapter 4, still not going to all your divisions and stuff in church. First, you need to learn how to love one another fundamentally. And wouldn't our church be so much healthier? Wouldn't our country be so much healthier if we didn't spend every single one of our TV shows teaching kids how to have boyfriends and girlfriends, how to kiss? And it's, hey, hey, first, Paul says, have a general understanding how to love your neighbor. So when I'm doing premarital counseling or preparing young people for, for marriage and I discern, are you ready or not? I don't look at how much you are loving your girlfriend, how much you're loving your boyfriend, how you open the door for her, and how, or, or, or even all the nice chivalry thing. No. You know what I look at? How do you serve your brother in church? How do you serve your mom? Do you have a fundamental understanding of loving one another before you try to go to stage two of loving someone else in a unique, dynamic, one-on-one -on -one way? Parents, you want to know some good news for your children until we get to our family reboot series, which I can't wait to do one day, um, you know, where we get to march through what, how do we have a Christ-centered family. Here's a little nugget for you. Here's what you can teach your children. Love people, gentleness, kindness for all people. Then, you'll, then your son will have a framework to love his wife one day if he can do it for all people hey you want to teach your daughter same thing honoring people respecting people then she will be set up to respect her husband already this is what paul's doing he's saying no 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 no, no, no. we're not going to get all specific yet fundamentally let's talk about love love the unlovable learn how to do that first because god is a god of order god is a god of order there's a fundamental love we all need in relationships before we can take anything to the next level so if we want to know that we are real disciples of Christ, let's focus on these basic foundations. Now let's look at what Pastor Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 18. This is going to help us to see even more how important this is. 
as we, how we, as we look at love, that's talked about in these first six verses, and now peace. Here's verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, what? Live peaceably with all. Oh man, I, I really like that. Live peaceably with all. Because our problem is usually with other people, isn't it? We usually have problems with other people and what they're doing. That's usually a source of a lot of our problems. Some of us have been hurt in churches. Come on, let's just be honest. Like, I don't like coming to church and doing all the, uh-huh, how are you? I'm blessed. No, no, no. We've been hurt in churches. Pastors have hurt us. Leaders have hurt us. Brothers and sisters have hurt us. Some of us, we've taken steps away from the Lord. We've taken steps away from the church because we've been wounded. And we've lost some of that peace. Hey, God still loves you. God's still on his throne. God still is ready to rescue you. God's still ready to redeem you. God's still ready to get in the middle of your circumstance and to get it all held out. If you let him. But we say, well, if that person wouldn't have done this, I wouldn't have done that. Or if they wouldn't have said this, I wouldn't have had to have said that. But Paul's saying, uh-uh. As much as you can control, listen to me, folks, you can't control what happened to you. You can't control what other people have done. But Paul's saying as much as you can control on your side, live peaceably with all people. Again, this is not and folks, I've been in ministry for 14 years, a lot, a lot of counseling. So this is there's reasons why I'm doing this tension point. This is not an exhortation towards having relationships with everyone. No. But it is an, an exhortation to examine the posture of your heart towards all people, ensuring you have peace towards them. You tracking with me? That you have peace. So, so why is Paul going so out of his way to encourage the believers in Ephesians through chapter 4 towards this posture of love? Why is this so important? It's really simple. Because literally the church is the hope of the world. Because the church is the literal hope of the world. If, folks, no church, no hope. Well, I thought it was no God, no hope. Yeah, but God chose to reveal himself and do all his work through the church. So let me do it again. No church, no hope. No church, no light. No church, no salvation. Oh, be careful. Only, only through Christ. Okay. Who's Christ married to? Is he in a divorce? No. No church, no salvation. Who's the church? We are the church. We got to act right. We got to love one another. We got to live in peace. Because we don't do that, there's no hope. Do you want to know what one of the oldest... Hey, this is fun. We're going to have some fun. Uh, do you know what the oldest organization is in the world? That's still standing? There's been a lot of great, really great, really, really great organizations. There's a lot of them out there. You, know, you got Nike. You, got a lot. you know, you want to know what the oldest organization is that's still standing? The church. Mm -hmm. And it's showing no signs of stopping at all. That's one that you know what you're a part of. You're a part of one of the greatest organizations ever. Do you want to know what um, the biggest organization known to man ever was? The church. 
Mm -hmm. Do you want to know what the strongest organization that's had more influence than any other organization, even more than the, 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 the just do it organization? Do you, do you want to know? Oh, it's the church. Yeah. Uh, did you know that, the, uh, that BMW, Target, Whole Foods, and Nike won't be around in about 500 years, but the church will be? I, I just need to bring perspective into this because we, 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 we worship all these idols like they're so permanent. It's been happening for, for, since the beginning of time. Rome thought it never could fall. If you would have told somebody back then that Rome was going to fall and that these beautiful statues, they'd have been like, are you kidding me? No, literally BMW, Target, Whole Foods, 500 years won't exist. Did you know that? Did you know that your education and all your little fancy money with your nice little paper degree, I have a couple of them too, but you know, that paper degree you have, your career, your future, your social media account and your 100 followers or your thousand, depending on how much time you spend. Did you know that all these things will not exist in 500 years from now, but the church will? I don't know. Just wanted you to know that it's all fleeting. It's not going to last. Oh, did you know that even America 500 years to a thousand years from now will be nothing more than a footnote in history. Did you know that? But the church won't be. It'll still be the co-main character alongside Christ in the grand story of redemption. It's the greatest organization that ever was launched. And it's the only one that's going to last. The church is going to continue on and on and on. And God will remain with the church and the church will remain with God. The only question is, will you be a part of that? Will you be a part of that? Pay attention. In order for us to join in on this amazing opportunity to be a part of this awesome redemption history story of God's church, we need to learn how to act together. You might be like, Pastor, why do you have so much about that? We get along just fine. Maybe. I'll plant seeds for the future. <laughs> We need to learn how to be together. We need to gather in one spirit, Paul says. You and I need to work on that because we're going to butt heads at time. Are you tracking? We're literally going to butt heads. I'm going to rub you the wrong way. You're going to rub me the wrong way. I'm probably going to rub you the wrong way more than you rub me the wrong way. <laughs> but it's going to happen. We're going to annoy each other. But we're going to have to figure out how to work it out. You and I need to not be waiting around for the perfect church filled with the perfect people because it's not going to be found. It's not going to happen. You and me in Christ's name need to give our love and our commitment and our affection to the church before they ever are worthy or deserving it because God gave it to you when you were not worthy and you did not deserve it. We're just being shadow images of that. Don't wait. Do it for Jesus. Do it for God's glory. So let's see now a beautiful depiction of what Paul is communicating about this whole unity in the faith, this one body, one spirit, one hope. And always the best place to look at when you want to see a really good example of that is to look to Jesus. And so did you know um, that, uh, do you know what Jesus was doing right before he, he said these amazing words in scripture? They will know that you are my disciple based upon your love for one another. Do you know what he was doing right before that? We just talked about all that. Like they will know that you're a disciple based on your love. Do you know what he was doing right before that? In the text, he was washing all the disciples' feet. I just want you to understand how oh, he's just such a good preacher to himself, Pastor Jesus. He, he leads by example, and then he says this comment. Oh, and if you, if you don't know what I mean, just look what I just did, disciples. He was washing their feet. But here's now I'm going to make this Bible come to life. You've passed your way. Okay. Here's the things, folks. He literally knew that all the 12 disciples were going to betray him. Did you know that? All 12 of them. We always say, oh, I thought it was just Judas and maybe Peter a little bit. You know, three little, little rooster thing. Um, 
the whole 12 disciples he knew were going to... Oh, folks, it's still, oh, we're, we're not getting it. It's still too bible Okay. People betray you. How do you act? I can tell you how I have acted in the past. Not like Jesus. <laughs> Who's hurt you? Who's betrayed? Oh, we have to go. I'm going too fast. What does betrayal mean? Betrayal is to be wronged when you're not expecting it. It's to be wronged in the spot where you were trusting. Oh, so I just want to feel this. Okay. How do you act when someone wrongs you in the place that you gave them your heart and you trusted them and they betrayed you? These 12 disciples were going to betray their leader and he knew it. And he washed their nasty, stinky, walking 15 miles, don't got Nike technology shoe feet. Peter literally was going to just denounce him three times and he washed Peter's feet. Jesus knew exactly what Judas was going to do. He knew exactly what Peter was going to do and he washed their feet. In other words, Jesus got to the loving even when they weren't about to do the right thing. And we've been called. What does it mean to dwell in unity? What does it mean to be in harmony? What does it mean to live in peaceful? It means that you're ready to do the right thing, even when others are not. Now, we see multiple things that keep happening. We can't go through it all. But what we, if you want to go do some personal study in the gospels is beautiful then you get to see what it, we get an example of restoration of relationships we get to see peter and jesus restore what restored them christ's love his consistency jesus i let jesus telling peter i love you anyway peter denying him and looking in jesus eyes and seeing nothing but love in return so we see an example of a restoration of a relationship so there's hope we also see an example of a necessary ending jesus judas they do not rekindle. <laughs> Judas goes. We see both images, but I don't want to get lost there. We see all these things. But the main thing that I want us to focus on is that Jesus made sure to be at peace with all people, with all men. Therefore, it would be wise of you and for me to ask ourselves this question. It's going to be on the screen for you to answer right now on your paper. Take it seriously. Is there anyone, folks, ask yourself this question. Is there anyone that I'm not forgiving right now? In my life, am I at peace with my brothers and sisters in Christ? If not, what am I waiting for? Take a moment to write your answer down. Is there someone that I'm not forgiving right now? Am I living at peace? Or do I need to go and address someone? Who do I need to address? Who do I need to see? Listen to me. This is not about evaluating every relationship in your life and deeming whether it's perfect or not. I'm not even asking you this morning. I'm not challenging you this morning to go about mending and restoring relationships because that would actually not be the focus of what Paul's even communicating. This is not an invitation that you got to go and go fix everything. What I'm asking you and what I believe Paul is stating in Romans is, are you at peace within your heart towards all people? 
Because if unity is going to happen in a church, it's going to be filled with people that are at peace. There will be different layers of relationships. There will be different levels of relationships. But the common unifier needs to be peace. Peace. But guess what else is true? Not just the peace thing. If you're truly going to be able to move forward in your life, even with necessary endings, for those who, who have some of that in your life, this is important. Peace is still important. Here's why. If you're truly going to walk away from a relationship that needs to have a necessary ending, the only way to do that is to have peace. Or you're going to always look back with regrets. I should have done this. I should have done that. Either way, peace is required. Peace to heal, mend, fix, rejoin, or peace to truly leave the relationship behind in a God-exalting way. Peace is the answer. So establishing peace with brothers and sisters in Christ, this whole thing is to the brothers and sisters, by the way. This isn't to people who are unbelievers, which is a very hard thing. I don't want to get lost in that today. This is a prescription for the church, brothers and sisters. We don't even have an exhortation right now to deal with how we're supposed to have peace amongst unbelievers. Focus on the text. This is about how we act as family of God. Okay? Now, let's... And this is also a good opportunity, I want to say one more thing, for you for discipleship. If you have some struggle, like, is this a relationship that needs to end or needs to be healed? This is an opportunity for mentorship, discipleship, a trusted Christian friend, your pastor, to help you walk through. Is this a, mend, is this a mending thing or is this an ending thing? And how do I bring peace into either one? Okay. Now let's look at Ephesians, these six verses. We're just going to march through them as we've set this stage wisely. And we're not going to really march through them in a big way. We're going to kind of still do a little quick overview and then we're going to close out and then next week we're going to go at them again and we're going to go deeper okay here we go ephesians um, um chapter 4 verses 1 through 2. i therefore a prisoner for the lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness with patience bearing with one another in love so this idea of humility and this idea of gentleness is required for love this is what i want you to know for today you need humility and you need gentleness in how you love. So the question is this, how do you have humility and gentleness? How do we have that? That requires you to have chapters one through three. <laughs> how do I stay humble and gentle? It's when you understand that you were not deserving God, but God chose you anyway. It's when you understand the depths of your sin and you don't forget it and you remember what God did for you. It's when you understand that you literally, because of the blood of Christ, have the opportunity to draw near to God when you should have no relationship with God. When you step into all of what's being communicated about who God is and how undeserving you are, you are left humble and gentle because you're, you're radically understanding that you don't deserve what God's giving you. It's not hard to walk in humility and in gentleness towards anyone when you recognize how broken you are before the God of the universe. But on the other hand, if you think that you've done something so great for the Lord and the kingdom, and you think that you're such a good addition, I'm so, I'm all that, uh-huh, I'm all that. Well, yeah, you're gonna have a hard time with humility and gentleness because you're seeing yourself elevated much higher than you truly are. You're gonna look down on people, you're gonna be a divider, and that's not God's heart. Now, let's focus on the end of verse 2 again. I therefore, 
I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, here we go, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love. So here's a simple yet true personal story, because sometimes that's the best way, um, that I can share with you about bearing with one another in love. It's just a simplistic one, and then we'll build off of that. Have you ever been to a church, uh, and I have, where you absolutely just love to worship song? It's your jam. Oh man, when that song comes on, you just put your hands up, you just have these encounters with the Lord, and you're just worshiping. And have you ever been in church services where you absolutely hate the song <laughs> and every time it comes on you're like i really hate when that song comes on i cannot connect with god it's distracting the lyrics aren't faithful whatever it is okay so this is a true story so literally i'm in church and a song comes on and it's like it's just one of my favorite songs in that in that season i'm having a hard time i'm, I'm worshiping i'm lifting my hands and i'm worshiping the god of the universe i'm just yeah and then the next song come on and I just couldn't stand it. And I was just like, oh man, dang it. I don't like this song. I don't like this song. Hey, let me ask you this question. Do you believe that some of the songs that you love the most, there are other brothers and sisters who do not like that song? <laughs> Is it possible for you to get out of your mind and your own wants? Do you understand that your favorite song is literally the most hated song by someone else in the Christian faith? Do you know it goes both ways? So let me finish this story. So, 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 so literally, um, I'm worshiping in this moment and the place and location will remain unnamed. <laughs> and, and I'm lifting and I'm worshiping and I'm, oh, I'm just worshiping and the song comes on and I'm just like, Ugh, I don't like the song and I'm having all these thoughts in my mind. And I look over right diagonal, two to three rows up to the right and there's this woman and her hands are stretched out. She's wailing, crying. And you could, I mean, it's just this deep moment. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, all right. <laughs> uh, clearly the God of the universe is on display. And this woman is having a encounter with the Lord, just like I was about two minutes before, before I entered into sin by not focusing on what's going on. And Brandon, and then guess what I did? I was like, you better lift your hands and worship the God of the universe and get locked in to what God's trying to do. Get over your preferences and bear with your sister that's three rows up to the right in love because she's trying to focus on the God of the universe. That's the right thing to do, Brandon. Now, I can assure you that this Disney Channel version that I just told you about, which is a very light kind of a way of looking at bearing one another in love, is still a very faithful example. You want to know why? Because I can assure you, we're going to learn throughout the rest of these three chapters that Paul, when he's talking about bearing with one another in love, it's a way deeper than just some song preferences. But folks, if we do, I don't, well, maybe you guys are more holy than me, but if you have those moments like I did, and we struggle with bearing with one another's song preferences, we're not ready to talk about bearing in any kind of love. Okay. And so that's still a faithful example. Now let's look at verse three, because I got to keep moving. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in... Yeah, I'm reading on purpose because we need to read the Bible. Some of us, are, this is the only time we hear the word of God. So, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager, 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 eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond 
of peace. I really love the word eager. I like words and I like that word eager. I love the word eager. It means to do everything in your possible reach towards something. That's what it means to do something with eagerness, to do everything you can in your ability. We're almost done. Stay focused. So when Paul says to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, he means do everything possible to make that unity and that peace happen. Everything, not some things, everything, not almost everything, everything, not 95%, everything, 100%. Do everything you can. So what is going to be your response to what Paul is saying in the text? Let's put this on the screen. Here's going to be what's called the Ephesians Eager Project. Okay. What is going to be, for those of you who want to lean into this, what is going to be your Ephesians Eager Project this week? Let's explain. Are you going to wait for peace amongst your brothers and sisters who you have division with for it to happen naturally, like for peace to fall out of the sky in the form of a dove and the Shekinah glory cloud comes and peace just is fixed? Are you going to wait for something like amazing just to fall on your lap and it's just going to work itself out? Or are you going to be eager to go make that happen? I'm not talking about those who are not in the faith. Those who are your brothers and sisters in the Lord, wherever they're at, are you going to be eager? Who do you need to repent to? Yeah, I said it. Who do you need to... What are you going to ask who needs to repent to me? I'm not. Who do you need to repent to? Is there a reconciliation journey that you need to be having, that you need to be working on? Are there some wrongs and some sins that you've committed to your brother or sister in the Lord that you need to go correct? Or are there some wrongs that have been done to you? that you need to invite the Holy Spirit to help heal in you so you can have peace. I want you to write down my, for your, like for your Ephesians eager project. My Ephesians eager project is to reconcile with my mom. It's to reconcile with my brother. It's to reconcile with whoever it is. Who are you going to be eager to have peace with? Uh, I, I want to do my Ephesians eager project. I just don't know if it's a mend or if it's a ending. Let's talk, but you still can write something down. Let's look at verses four through six. This is beautiful. There's too much in here for today. So we'll have to come back to it. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And when you understand that there is only one father of the faith, one father of life, one person that gives you every single thing that you need, you will find that it's all worth it that you can do this unity thing, that God will equip you. Now, there's going to be a lot more for us to cover in these same verses, namely the biggest concept in the beginning, which is to live a life worthy of your calling. Good night. I didn't want to touch it today. I wasn't, I couldn't do it. We will revisit some of that later, but here's some final thoughts that I want to end with today. So remember what we talked about earlier in the sermon that Jesus was kind of going through his kind of proverbial bucket list, doing this, doing this, doing this. And he ends with this big thing by your love for one another. They will know that you are like basically legitimate. Okay. So then he went to the garden of Gethsemane and he prayed. 
It's in John chapter 17, if you want to know. It's um, the last recorded prayer of Jesus, verse 21-ish, I believe, 21-ish. He prays, okay? And I want you to look closely at that prayer. Oh, yeah, I do have that. John 17, 21. Let's look at that prayer. This is the last prayer that we have of Jesus praying before he goes to his death. Okay. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe you have sent me. The world will believe you have sent me when they see all of us dwelling in unity. Wow. The world's going to know because of our unity. So if you want to see a revival happen in your home, in your church, in your city, if you want to see people get saved... If that's your desire, I want to see people get saved. If you want to see your coworkers, your family, your friends, your son, your mom, your dad, if you want to see people get saved, if you want them to believe that Jesus is real, that he's on his throne, it's going to happen when we model what it means to dwell in unity, when we love, when we have peace. We can't have divisions within Redemption City Church. You tracking? It won't work. We have to honor one another. We have to serve one another. We can't quit on one another. We can't be judgmental to one another. We can't be envious of one another. We can't lie and cheat and steal from one another. We cannot abandon one another. Instead, let us be a church that's marked by gospel-centered love, gospel-centered peace, get the title of our message, and gospel-centered unity. I want to invite you to stand as we get ready to worship.